0: Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station. On today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Mostly in the Bible, the word epithumia lust is used in relationship to sex and let me give you this definition of lust it's an insatiable desire for any sexual activity that is outside the will of god lust is an insatiable desire for any sexual activity outside the will of god
1: welcome to pathway to victory with author and pastor dr robert jeffers because of our sinful nature we are hardwired to crave the wrong things And one of the most difficult temptations that Christians struggle to overcome is lust. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress teaches about the dangers of infidelity and encourages us to pursue a life of purity. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome to Pathway to Victory. You've chosen a significant day to join us because
0: today... And again tomorrow, I will present the final message in the Invincible Teaching Series. The journey of life is littered with unexpected hurdles. From one day to the next, we never know what mountain we're going to face. Sometimes those mountains are constructed by things outside of our control. But other times, we're the ones who manufacture our own mountains, like the one we'll address on today's program. But whatever the case, God never intends us to be defeated by those mountains. Through His power, grace, and mercy, God wants to move mountains for us or to help us navigate around those mountains. God wants to make us invincible. Well, today, we're going to address one of the most common mountains among Christians and perhaps the most private one. Today, I'm going to talk about moving from a lust-filled life to a pure life from sinful preoccupation to joyful satisfaction, from darkness into light. If you're prepared to transform your thought life, then this message is for you. By following God's plan and depending on His power, you can experience a new beginning in Christ. In my best-selling book, Invincible, I've devoted an entire chapter to this important topic. And later in the program, I'll explain how you can request your copy, Please be ready to jot down our contact information. But right now, let's turn our attention to the 119th Psalm. I titled today's message, Moving from Lust to Purity. A number of years ago, there was a funny television commercial. You may remember in this commercial, there was a beautiful young woman who was seated at the bar of a hotel. She was at the counter there when she glances down the counter and she sees this handsome man and uh, they lock eyes and the young man is sure that the woman is giving him the look. And so he gets up and he goes over to her and on his way out, he drops the key to his hotel room. And she stays there for a few moments and she gets up and puts the leather jacket on, which is the basis of the commercial. And she looks down the other end of the bar and she sees at the end of the counter, this balding middle-aged dumpy guy sitting there. She gets up and walks down and takes that hotel room key and drops it off to him. (laughs) The next scene, those two men are in the elevator The younger guy looks at the dumpy guy and to his horror realizes he's holding the key to his hotel room. Well, it was a funny commercial, but the truth is, there's nothing funny about lust. As a pastor for more than 40 years, I've seen the destructive power of lust. I've seen how it destroys the lives of individuals, of families, of entire churches. The problem of insatiable sexual desire is hurting the witness of the church of Jesus Christ today. Just look in the news. In the last few months, we've had three major scandals, all involving sex. A world-famous apologist accused of the sexual abuse of women in a spa. The leader of a great Christian school, accused of sexual debauchery that can't even be described. A Christian leader recently, who's known for espousing family values, guilty of child pornography, all ruining the witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to talk about, in our series, Invincible, The problem of lust. Remember in our series, we're talking about the 10 mountains, the obstacles that separate us from the blessed life that God wants us to experience. And today we're in the last message in this series, and we're going to talk about the issue of lust. And, And I'm hesitant to talk about conquering lust, because the fact is we can't once and for all conquer the problem of lust. But lust can once and for all conquer us if we're not careful. And so today we're gonna talk about how to gain victory over lust by moving from lust to purity. Now, we need to define terms first of all. What do we mean when we talk about lust? This is gonna surprise you, but in the Bible, the Greek word for lust is not necessarily evil, it's neutral. It all depends upon the context in which it's used. The Greek word is epithumia, and it's translated lust. Sometimes it's used in a positive way in the Bible. In 1 Timothy 3.1, for example, it's used in relationship to the office of the pastor. Uh, Paul says, it is a trustworthy statement. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, pastor, leader of the church, it is a fine work he, and there's the word epithumia, lusts to do. It's a good thing to lust, to crave, to desire to be a pastor. Now, you may have seen in the news uh, a little dust up in, over some controversy in one of our Southern Baptist churches that last week chose to ordain three women to the pastoral ministry. And there's lots of outcry about it. Monday, I had a call from the New York Times. Pastor, what do you think about this church that has ordained three women to become pastors? And I said, you know, it really doesn't matter what I think about it. What matters is what does the Bible say about it? And the Bible says two very clear things about women in ministry. Number one, God does call women into ministry. He does it all the time. From the very beginning of the Christian movement, women were called to ministry. God chose women to deliver the first news of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Remember what was happening on that Easter Sunday morning, that weekend? What were the apostles doing out preaching about Jesus? No, they were curled up in a fetal position, sucking their thumbs in the upper room. They were absolutely distraught over the crucifixion. It was the women who went to the tomb. And when they saw that he was no longer there, they ran and told the apostles about it. And what did they do? They didn't believe the women. That's just women talking. We can't believe them. But God entrusted that message to women. Uh, Lydia uh, was a businesswoman in Acts 16 who founded the church at Philippi. Yes, it's okay for women to be involved in business. And she was a church leader as well. Throughout history, you see that. Throughout the history of our church, you see women involved in ministry. Some of you high school seniors here today, some of you girls have already been called to ministry. I think about in our church, you know, in the past, we had great women like Millie Kahn and Libby Reynolds and Ann Hood. This may shock you, but my first youth minister was a woman in this church, June Hunt see right there. God called June Hunt to ministry. He continues to do that today. Shelley Taylor, Ashley Gross, Pam Brewer, my daughter Julia, they are called to ministry just as much as I am called to ministry. In fact, I think we ought to have a public ceremony in which we recognize women who have been called to ministry. We do it for men. There's no reason not to do it for women. And unless you think I'm a heretic, (laughs) Dr. Chris will believe that too. He thought there ought to be a public acknowledgement, a laying on of hands of women who are called to ministry. That's always been the truth. So that's the first truth that you find in Scripture. The second truth is equally clear Women are not to serve as the senior pastor of a church. God has reserved the role of pastor for men. It's not because they're better than women. That's just God's plan. Because how do I know that? Because in verse two of first Timothy three, he says in the qualifications for a pastor and overseer, among other things, he has to be the husband of one wife. He's to be male. When you put this with 1 Timothy 2, 1 Corinthians 11, the senior pastor role is reserved for men. By the way, there are a lot of qualifications for a pastor other than just being a man. He has to control his temper. A man who can't control his temper is, is just as prohibited from being a pastor as a woman is. Uh, there are all kinds of limitations there. But the role of pastor is for the man. Now, why am I talking about this in reference to lust? Here's the point. The point is craving something, wanting something is not wrong unless it's outside God's prescribed boundaries. And that's what you see with this word lust in three. Yes, being, wanting to be in ministry, that's a good thing, but there are some limitations there. There are some boundaries. The same thing is true when it comes to sex. Mostly in the Bible, the word epithumia, lust, is used in relationship to sex. And let me give you this definition of lust. It's an insatiable desire for any sexual activity that is outside the will of God. Lust is an insatiable desire for any sexual activity outside the will of God. What is sexual activity outside the will of God? Jesus answered that in Matthew 19, verses four to six. Now, teenagers listen to this very carefully because you're gonna have this thrown at you uh, in college or wherever life might lead you. Uh, Jesus said to the Pharisees, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? May I point out the obvious here? your gender is not a matter of choice. It's a matter of chromosomes. It's a matter of science. It is a matter of the creator. God is the one who decides our gender. He's the one who makes us male and female. And he's the one who said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. God's the one who designed marriage. It is between A man and a woman, a male and female, husband and wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Look, God thought up the idea of sex, two becoming one flesh. But he said, I've designed sex for a male and a female in the security of the marriage relationship that's what sex is reserved for. And any deviation from that is wrong. I've heard people, I used to debate people on TV all the time about this. Well, you know, they would say, Reverend Jesus never talked about homosexuality. He never mentioned homosexuality. True. He never used the word. He never spoke out against bestiality either. But does that mean he was for it? He never talked about pedophilia, but you think he was for that? I mean, Jesus could have spent all afternoon listing every sexual perversion to man if he wanted to. That's not how he handled it. He said, here is God's plan. One man with one woman in a lifetime relationship called marriage. And any sex outside of that misses the mark. It falls short of what I've planned for your good, not evil, but for good. And that's why Jesus doesn't mention every perversion that you could think of. We see that, by the way, in Matthew 5, 28. Jesus said, everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Sex is not wrong. The desire for it is not wrong unless it's directed toward the wrong person. It was Christian philosopher Jay Budajewski who said, Lust isn't sexual desire per se, but disorderly sexual desire. The problem isn't the desire, it's the disorder. Is there any better illustration of sexual disorder than pornography? people who have studied pornography say that it is an addictive behavior. One writer says, a scientific consensus is emerging that today's porn is truly a public health menace. What makes pornography so dangerous is that it tangles up our brain's wiring, leading to addiction that is just as powerful as that for cocaine, alcohol, or nicotine. But like all addictions pornography has diminishing returns it's not just that you need continually more exposure to it to get the same hit of dopamine that pleasure hormone it's not that you need more of it you need more variety in it you crave more and more perverse things to give you the same buzz that originally the first exposure to it did Somebody wrote, like water following downhill, we are drawn to porn that is increasingly taboo, specifically more violent and degrading. We've seen the news of this Christian leader who is addicted to a type of child pornography that is so evil, so heinous, I can't even mention it here in public. That is where pornography leads, and by the way, I've heard throughout the years, people have said to me, well, pastor, there's no harm in looking <laughs> in looking. There's no sin in that. I'm just going to keep that to myself. It's just my little pleasure. What I do, that doesn't mean I'm going to act out on what I see. Oh no, only an idiot would say something like that. When somebody says what you see doesn't affect how you act. I said, if that's true. Why do you think advertisers spend billions and billions of dollars on advertisements, on television, and on the internet? Why do they do that? Just to throw away their money? No, they know what you see, what you put into your mind is eventually going to be something you act out on as well. And that is the destructive power of pornography. What role does lust this craving for sex outside God's boundaries, how does it lead to sin? I want you to notice what James says about that. Turn over to James chapter 1, verses 13 to 16. James wrote in verse 13: Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he doesn't tempt anyone. Actually, some in the early church in Jerusalem. On the verge of succumbing to sin, we're saying, well, I guess God planned it. He's sovereign. I believe in the sovereignty of God. Maybe God is allowing me to fall into this sin. James says, stop it. God has no role in your temptation whatsoever. And then in verse 14, he tells us how temptation occurs. He said, but each one of us is tempted when we are carried away and enticed by his own lust." And then when lust has conceived, notice the sexual imagery there. When lust is conceived, it gives birth to not life, but to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Just as a sperm and an egg come together to produce life, there are two ingredients that come together to produce sin. And sin always results in death. Not just physical death, but the death of everything important to us, relationships, dreams for the future. And then he adds, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Now let's go back to verse 14 for a moment. And let me give you this formula for sin in practical terms that James is talking about. What he's saying is corrupt desires plus the right bait plus the wrong choice equals sin. He says in verse 14, Each one is tempted when he is carried away. He's talking about our corrupt desires, our lust. That word translated carried away is the Greek word elko. It's the same word used in John 12, 32, in which Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. That's a drawing that's positive. But elko, it refers to to be drawn by an inward power. In this case, it's by a wrong inward power. You see, to use computer terminology, each one of us has an internal operating system, just like a computer does. We have an internal operating system that controls everything we do, but we've been infected with a virus in our internal operating system. It's called sin. This sin virus has messed up our natural impulses so that now... Whenever God says yes to something, our first impulse is to say no. And when God says no to something, our first impulse is to say yes. And so we've got these inward lusts, these cravings for things that are outside the will of God. So temptation begins with these corrupt desires, but that's not all. Each person is tempted when he's carried away and enticed. That's what bait refers to. In fact, the Greek word enticed is a fisherman's term. It means to hook. It refers to the hooking of a, of, of a fish. Um, you know how that works, how you dangle the right bait in front of a fish in order to get it to bite. I'll have to confess to you, I absolutely hate fishing. I remember uh, when I went to my first or my second church in Wichita Falls, there was an old deacon there who wanted to build a relationship with me and later became a great friend, but he thought the way to do it was through fishing. So he invited me to come out with him fishing one Saturday morning at some ungodly hour, Wanted me to get up and get in this boat with him. Can you just imagine me out there in a boat with this guy? And uh, we were fishing and so I had my line in the water And it stayed there, stayed there, not a nibble, not anything. While on the other end of the boat, my deacon friend was just pulling out fish one after another. And I said, Bob, what's the secret? Why are you so successful? I'm such a failure at this. He said, Preacher, two things. First of all, if you're gonna catch fish, you've got to smell like a fish. Now you got up this morning, I can tell, you showered, you shaved, you put on that cologne. No fish is going to get in a mile of you. But he said, this morning, I didn't take a shower. He really didn't need to tell me that. I'd already figured that one out earlier. I didn't put on any cologne, Thing, You've got to smell like a fish. The second thing is, you've got to use the right bait. See, not all fish are attracted by the same bait. You've got to know what bait to use for what fish. And when you drop that right bait down into the water, that fish who is overwhelmed by his hunger, he's blinded by his hunger. He sees that piece of attractive bait and he bites at it. Not really, there is a hook in the middle of it that will destroy its life. Now folks, Satan is the master fisherman. He knows what appeals to you. And at just the right time, he's dropped that piece of bait in front of you. We're just midway through today's important message on moving from lust to purity. And I'm inclined to believe that someone is listening to me at this very moment who is frustrated by this barrier. It's a mountain that won't seem to move. Well, let me strongly suggest that you take your first steps toward victory today. It begins with relinquishing your control to the only one who can move mountains for you, God Himself. And then, I want you to get in touch with Pathway to Victory to request the book I've written on this topic, along with nine other barriers as well. My book is called Invincible. It's important to clarify that today and tomorrow are the final days to request my book. So please don't delay another moment. A hardbound copy of Invincible is yours today when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. You choose the amount of your gift, understanding that this is a full-size and full-length hardbound book. And I promise to put this book in the mail to your home just as quickly as we possibly can. In fact, When you respond right now, I'll also include 10 encouragement cards from the Invincible book. These are creatively designed to be displayed at home or at your workstation so that you have a constant visual reminder that God is willing and able to move your mountains. Thanks in advance of receiving your generous gift because you are allowing us to push back the forces of evil in our times. We couldn't supply these daily programs without devoted friends like you.
1: David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffers. Today, when you invest in the ministry of Pathway to Victory by giving a generous gift, we'll say thanks by sending you the best-selling book by Dr. Jeffers called Invincible, Conquering the Mountains That Separate You from the Blessed Life. You'll get that along with the 10 Invincible Encouragement Cards. Plus, you'll also receive the DVD and CD for a brand-new message that Dr. Jeffers recently delivered, to an audience of national Christian broadcasters. This message is called When Persecution Comes. You can request these resources when you call 866-999-2965 or visit our website at ptv.org. And when you give an especially generous gift of $75 or more, we'll also send you the complete collection of audio and video discs for the Invincible Teaching Series along with a personal and group study guide. But today and tomorrow are the final days this offer will be made available. So get in touch right away. One more time, call 866-999-2965 or go online to ptv.org. You can also send your donation by mail. Here's the address, P.O. Box 223 Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box two twenty three six zero nine Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Don't miss the conclusion of our series called Invincible, coming up Friday on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.